Do you solemnly swear that you will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that you will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that you would take this obligation freely, without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, and that you will well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office on which you are about to enter, so help you God. Congratulations, you're now members of the 114th Congress. Thank you. I rise today to express my anger at what I saw on the video taken of the event down in McKinney, Texas on last Friday, where a big and burly police officer wearing white socks uh, manhandled a young 15-year-old black girl in a bathing suit and manhandled other young black people who were there simply to attend a pool party. That kind of heavy-handed, out-of-control police misconduct must be stopped in this country. We must do something about it. I was so angry that I couldn't be there to do something about it, but I am here to do something about it, and I pledge to the people to do everything I can to make sure that we eliminate those kinds of officers from police forces throughout the country. It feels like open season on black men in America, and I'm outraged. In fact, all Americans are at risk when bad actors in law enforcement use their guns instead of their heads. Despite bipartisan nationwide calls for action, and despite my bills to reform the broken grand jury process, hold police accountable, and end militarization, and despite my colleagues' bills to encourage body cameras, this Congress does nothing. No hearings, no blue ribbon commissions, no nothing. I would like unanimous consent to enter this list of people killed by the police into the record so my colleagues will no longer ignore this crisis. Mr. Speaker, here are just a few names of our colleagues and neighbors and relatives. Walter Scott from North Carolina, Michael Brown from Missouri, Anthony Hill from Georgia, Tony Robinson from Wisconsin, Kevin Davis from Georgia, Nicholas Thomas, Georgia, Daniel Elrod, Nebraska, Antonio Zambrano Montes, Washington, David Kasnick of Pennsylvania, Jessica Hernandez, Colorado, Kevin Davis, Georgia, Dennis Grigsby, Texas, Romaine Brisbane, Phoenix, Tamir Rice, Ohio, Akai Gurley, New York, Carlos Perez, Nevada, Kajimi Powell, Missouri, Ezel Ford, California, Dylan Taylor, Utah, John Crawford III of Ohio, Nashisha Salis, Vincent of Colorado, Charlie Lando, Conning of California, and the list goes on. Ladies and gentlemen of America, this is Spotlight on Capitol Hill. You have arrived at AJC Radio, and I'll tell you right now, this is going to be what we call one of the most important spotlights on Capitol Hill. Tonight, we meet a gentleman out of Congress 
by the name of Congressman Hank Johnson. They say he is cooler than the other side of the pillow. And I'll tell you right now, as we have taken the steps uh, on Capitol Hill, we have had the privilege of meeting with Congressman Hank Johnson. And I'll tell you right now, it was interesting, it was informative, and we're going to kick it off here on Agency Radio. Stand by as we ascend upon the steps of our nation's capital. We'll be right back with you. And there you have it. I'm Lamont Banks, along with Cliff Stewart, William Williams, and Lisa Stewart, and the entire AJC radio team. And tonight, Spotlight on Capitol Hill, we shine the light on a legend, I believe, a man that has seen some things along the way. And I'll tell you, it was a privilege to meet with the congressman, and you're going to hear that exclusive interview tonight on this program as we take a trip to the nation's capital And we're getting ready to get started. And before we get there, Lisa, can you read our disclaimer, please? Absolutely. We just want to remind everyone that we are not attorneys and that a just cause does not provide any legal advice. You want to contact your personal legal advisor for all of your legal needs. Also, the opinions expressed by callers and guests do not necessarily reflect that of a just cause or AJC radio. And as always, we want to thank you for tuning in and choosing to spend some time with us this evening. And thank you for that, Lisa. And as we... Uh, said, uh, uh, and also, Lisa, we return also ourselves from a trip to D.C., uh, meeting with uh, folks that need uh, to hear what's going on in this judicial system, Lisa, that has seemed to be broken on every side and every place. And the reason tonight we highlight and spotlight, if you will, Congressman Hank Johnson is because, Lisa, through our conversations with him and Cliff, uh, we saw and heard some things that were encouraging. And this is a man that is no nonsense, and he means business when it comes to the judicial system of this country, uh, being a member of the, of the Judiciary Committee there on Capitol Hill. Lisa, your thoughts on the congressman? Well, um, I have to say he was quite refreshing to, to talk to. He was, he was, yeah, he was just, he was really on top of his game. He really was, he, he knew what he, he knows what he, he knows what he wants, he knows what he's doing, he knows what his plans are, what his goals are, what he's trying to achieve, and he's working hard to do that. And he doesn't care what anybody thinks about what he's doing. He's going to go out there and do what he knows is right, and he's working hard for that. Well, he made the point on the opening clip, if you heard it correctly, uh, his statement was he became angry, outraged by, and he described the police perpetrator, if you will, of attacking a teenage girl, as you all know about that happened, uh, and uh, the police officer had this young teenager on the ground forcibly, and he said he was so outraged that he wanted to be there to do something. But, but the next point that stands out, Cliff, is that he said, but I'm here right now on, this, on the House floor of Congress, and I pledge to do something about it. Uh, it doesn't get any better than that. That's talking about action right now, not tomorrow, right now. That's right, and that's what uh, you know. That's what it takes is for Congress to get involved, to get get into action, and do something to ensure that uh, these type of things by law enforcement and other arms of the government that they're taken care of. I mean, just like uh, Congressman Johnson said, he he is looking at getting these type of individuals that are in law enforcement getting them getting them out because they do not belong. They have no place in law enforcement. They are not serving. Or protecting our communities. And Cliff, there are some things he's talking about, and we're going to get into it uh, here shortly. Uh, I mean, some serious issues. Uh, the military, uh, and, and William, you and I talked about it prior to the show. 
uh, dealing with the military look-alike, if you will, build-up of, of, the, of the military uh, look, if you will, of law enforcement, of the police station, of the police community. What happens if, you, if I got tanks coming into my community and I have men armed, you know, from top to bottom? Right, they're and, not they're not looking like police officers. Well, I'll tell they're, you what, it looks like the combat zone of Iraq. Absolutely, and uh, and I tell you, I don't know about anybody else, but uh, my eyes light my eyes will light up, and uh, I think I may have to take take the arms. I mean, because you're not you're talking about an offensive weapon coming to you. You're no longer here to serve and protect. You're here. You're rolling in military equipment. You're donning body armor and fatigues. This is the military, and they're acting like the military. So, uh, you know. They left police and law enforcement law, you know, way behind, and so I, I, I definitely see this as a as a problem because they're not there to um, discourage. Well, I, well, I'll tell you this, William. Uh, as we sit here and and, and Lisa and Cliff, uh, this gives you a sense of energy that something is going on, something is happening, and whenever you are fighting injustice, wherever you're fighting things that are wrong, and you occupy the seat of Congress. I guarantee you, ladies and gentlemen of America, that's not something that is easy. But Congressman Hank Johnson is not mixing nothing. He's not mixing no bones about it. He's saying, this is what I believe. I am outraged, and I demand that something happen. If that's not the call of action in this country by the people that we send to Capitol Hill, then I really don't know what is. And now, ladies and gentlemen, you know, this sounds like a, a buffet, if you will. If you've ever been to an all-you-can-eat buffet... There's a variety of things on the table. And I'll tell you tonight, here in Spotlight on Capitol Hill, Congressman Hank Johnson is the equivalent of the largest buffet probably you'll have to sit down and enjoy. But it's going to be good because these are things that make America safer. These are things that protect our children when we lay down at night. These are things that make us optimistic of a better tomorrow. So, folks, hang on to your seats. Right now in New York City, it is 61 degrees and clear. Los Angeles, 76, and beautiful Colorado Springs, where we are coming live from, is 64 degrees and partly cloudy. And we don't want to leave our nation's capital out of that forecast right now, 62 degrees and fair. But I guarantee you right now in AJC Radio Studio, it's getting ready to heat up. And that's because we will deal with Congressman Hank Johnson. And, uh, folks, this is going to be a good one. Lisa, as, as we have, uh, again, returning uh, this week uh, uh, from uh, what we're doing up there in D.C. And uh, what are your thoughts of, of the things that are happening on the Hill right now? Things seem to be moving very seriously up there on the Hill. Yeah, I think um, I think things are moving. Uh, they're moving in the right direction, I believe. I believe things are things are moving in a direction of change. Things are are starting to happen. Things are really starting to Starting to think that people are starting to make a difference. I think our voices are really being heard, and people are really moving because they're seeing the need for change, and I think they're really fighting for that change. Okay, and Lisa, well spoken there. And we, are, we have some current news, but we're going to give you an update on some information. Uh, and Lisa Cliff William, we talked about the other week. We had the family on the program uh, whose son, uh, uh, Michael Anderson, was killed uh, at the, uh, and we believe that to be the case, killed at the Florence prison camp in Florence, Colorado. Uh, I actually heard from the mother a couple of days ago asking uh, what, you know, what was going on with that. What are we doing? And as I told her, we are pushing forward. And Cliff, as we got looked into that, and we're going to just touch on it briefly, it is current news because this was, this was a loss of life 
uh, in a very, very uh, short period of time, uh, we learned some things from that family uh, that their son, the day before he died, um, had no marks on his body. He was excited about getting out of, out of the Florence prison camp, Cliff. He had two years left to go on his sentence. Uh, and all of a sudden, they say he took his life. Uh, the next morning when the mother showed up, uh, or when she got word that he had, had died and was able to go see the body uh, of Michael Anderson, well, guess what? There were bruises on the body. There was bruises on his face. There was, and he had a cut, busted lip as if some type of assault or altercation took place. That's right. Uh, yeah. Cliff, when you hear about these things, and we call into question director of the Bureau of Prisons, Charles Samuels, who has done nothing to deal with this situation. And they went as far, ladies and gentlemen of America, and if you're listening, please listen carefully, they went as far as to cremate the body for the family. Now, I don't know what what planet some folks are living on, but I can tell you right now, federal or state prisons do not pay for funeral services for inmates. doesn't happen, and it goes against the protocol of the BOP protocol, what happens when in the situation when someone dies. Cliff, when you hear this, uh, how outraged does it make you? And again, this is, this is current news that we're updating the, the listeners with tonight regarding Michael Anderson and the death and suspicious death of this young man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you you look at BOP and you look at this uh, this family and how uh, you know the mom when we had her on the show last week and she said how how just cruel and evil they were to her and then the dad said when he called and trying to find the body that they were cold and saying well just check around with some of the local mortuaries and then suddenly there comes this change of heart when they find their son's body that well. We'll cremate the body for you. We'll pay for all of that. We'll take care of it. The BOP, just like any other government agency, does not volunteer to pay for anything. It's not that is not the procedure. You're talking about spending taxpayer money. That it's 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 bureaucracy. It's red tape. It's all of these things that we all that have ever dealt with a a, uh, a government agency. Know what it takes to get the government to pay for something. They, they just offer to cremate not gonna the happen. body. We'll take care of the funeral arrangements and, and the fee. That does not happen. That you know good. that that was filed. That, so, that sounds wonderful, doesn't it? I mean, I, I just had to chime in here. That sounds wonderful. That, thank you well, to BOP well, for the, being so courteous. They'll ask the question. It makes you get a warm, fuzzy feeling all over. Uh, does that make you feel good? I'll tell you right now, it does not uh, because it doesn't happen in this country. On a second note to that of current news, uh, the IRP6 families have been targeted, harassed, threatened on every way possible uh, at, that, at the same prison that took this man's life. Uh, we deal with a system, and the families of the IRP6, we have a senior citizen, 70 years old, forced to sit in a chair meant for a toddler, sits in the chair, is injured, her back is injured, and if you know anything about back injuries, folks, that's a, life, that's a lifetime issue of pain. And trust me, I speak from experience because I live with it. And I'll tell you what, we have senior citizens, another lady, a mother of one of the RP6, told to go to the back of the line. If I'm not mistaken, we left segregation quite a long time ago. And how do you talk to a citizen in this country there to visit her son who has been wrongfully convicted and you throw her to the back of the line? You assault teenagers 
of the IRP-6. You threaten the lives of not only the IRP-6 families, but the men that occupy that facility who we, again, contend are innocent. This is outrageous. It is unacceptable. And for Director Charles Samuels, I would, it's high time you maybe, left, maybe need to leave office a little bit early. We understand your retirement is coming. We need someone in place that will do what the oath calls them to do, and that is to respect and to uh, honor human life and to not disrespect American citizens. That's right. Number one, you don't, you don't disrespect inmates, but you don't disrespect the families. Well, I mean, this is the thing. Is that crazy? That, that is absolutely crazy because, I mean, these guys are sitting in this situation. They don't belong there, period. IRP-6 do not belong there. Then their families are coming down. This is a small window of time in a week. Now you just go flat out harass these people, harass these people, limit their visits, uh, limit their time, harass them, what they have in their pockets, what they have in their purse and all that stuff, understanding there are rules in place. But these people have been going down here for three years. They've already been through the routine. So now you just sit here and harass them, put them in these little chairs that make it look like romper room. I mean, these chairs are not fit. They're not fit for adults. They're, they're for kids. So now you sit them in there and you, you section them off. You section them off. There's no interaction. And then just arbitrarily say, your visit's over. And we're, it's just ridiculous. Well, I'll tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, Department of Justice, if you're listening tonight, President Obama, anyone on the Hill, and I'm sure we have listeners all over this great United States of America, the crime must be made. That when families of the wrongfully convicted, and I'll take a step further, when families of the convicted come to visit their loved ones, to be harassed and spoken to with such disregard and disrespect, that's, that's unacceptable. And what you do, you create a hostile environment for the prison in which uh, these men are occupied. And when you make a statement... That and, and then one of the uh, inmates there made the statement that these uh, guards intend to make their life a living nightmare, period, as much as they can do. There's something wrong with this system. They should not be in place. We read every day in this country. We got a man in Florida, guards laughing and teasing him, throws him into a hot shower and murders this man, turning his temperature up to 180 degrees. To his skin separated from his body, and they stood back and laughed when it happened. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know what you call that. I call it cruel and unusual punishment. Somebody, everybody involved must be held accountable. Lisa, your thoughts on that? Yeah, something's got to be done. It's just, it's getting out of hand. It's getting completely out of control when these people in these prisons feel like they can do whatever they want. They feel like they're invincible and that no one's going to stop them because no one has stepped forward to stop them. And if our, our, our officials, like uh, Mr. Samuels, is not going to step forward and do, do what he should do, somebody needs to take his place who's going to have, have enough guts to stand up and say, I'm not going to allow this to happen in a place where I'm, take, where I'm in charge. I'm not going to allow these kind of things to happen. He doesn't have the, gut, the guts to do it, then replace him, put someone in there who can do it, well, who, and who's willing to do it. Well, I'll tell you what, Lisa, on that note, ladies and gentlemen, hang on to your seats. This is Spotlight on Capitol Hill and we've got, we've, we're done with the formalities. Coming up on the other side of this break, we, we honor tonight Congressman Hank Johnson. And as I said earlier, cooler than the other side of the pillow. And you're going to find out exactly just why that is 
We're coming back with Spotlight on Capitol Hill. I'm Lamar Banks along with Cliff Stewart, Lisa Stewart, and William Williams. Don't go nowhere, folks. Grab some lemonade, some hot chocolate, and it's getting a little cool in the evenings. You may want a little hot cup, cup of coffee. That may do the trick. We're coming right back with you here on AJC Radio. Stand by as Spotlight on Capitol Hill kicks off. We'll be right back. You must have thrown a thousand pitches teaching him to hit a home run. Spent countless Saturdays running routes so he could learn to hit an open receiver. Endless afternoons teaching him how to hit the three-pointer. But how much time have you spent teaching him what not to hit? Teaching boys that all violence against women is wrong is one of the most important things a man can do. Learn how to start the conversation at teachearly.org. Brought to you by Futures Without Violence and the Ad Council. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855 529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A Just Cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. Good morning, students, and welcome to Career Day. I hope you're excited to hear about all the great things you can do when you grow up. Hi, everyone. I'm Emily. I'm super excited to introduce my dad because he's my hero. When I was little, my dad was away a lot. But I was okay with that because he was doing this really important work, driving ambulances in Iraq. Now he's at home, which is great for me because I get to see him every day now. And he's still the biggest hero I know because he tells all the ambulances and the fire engines where to go and rescue people when there's an emergency. I'm so proud of him. He's awesome. He's my dad. If your service-connected disability prevents you from continuing in your civilian career, Voc Rehab offers counseling, training with a living allowance, education, and other services to help prepare you for your next mission. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is AJC Radio, Spotlight on Capitol Hill. And I'm Lamont Banks, along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, William Williams. And tonight we get ready to highlight someone, Lisa, we've been talking about uh, someone making some big differences on Capitol Hill right now. Yes, he is. He's really, he's really, he's really about it. He's really out there doing it. Cliff, you look like you're filled with anticipation as we get ready to dig into this, and uh, I'm excited along with you, uh, what's on your mind about the congressman? What was your impression of him? What did he leave with you? 
Well, you know, you you read a lot of profiles and bios, and you see uh, a lot of things on these congressmen on political TV and in the news. But there's nothing like having the one-on-one sitting down, uh, getting a chance to ask them questions and and go back and forth about their ideas of what they want for the American people. And you really get a feel of okay, this is his passion. This is what he's really about. This is what he really wants to change in America. It's one thing you read his one of the bills that he wrote, you hear him in some of the hearings, but when you talk to him and you say, "Okay, tell us what's on your heart." It it you get a sense and an understanding of this is why we need people like Congressman Hank Johnson in uh on Capitol Hill. No. Yeah, and without question, uh, I'll tell you right now, um, you know, I, I did see in the news report, uh, uh, the president had gone down to Georgia uh, for some type of remembrance thing Georgia. going on uh, to Georgia. And, uh, you know, Congressman Hank Johnson was on the on Air Force One with them, mm-hmm. uh, and they got an opportunity to discuss some things. And, and you know what? That's what it's about. That's what democracy, William, is about, uh, to be able to talk with your commander-in-chief of this country and, you know, the co- Congress needs the president. The president needs Congress. Absolutely. And absolutely. Uh, I think that speaks a lot, uh, William, uh, to uh, the importance of that relationship. And I don't care whether you're Democrat or Republican, uh, you have to be able to work with the, 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 the elected official, president of the United States. That's the vote of the American people. That's so right. when you when you fight him, you fight the American people. That's right. And, and, and it's good to have that relationship. I mean – he is a representative that is representing his constituents from his area, from his from his uh, district, and to be able to go to the president and say, "This is what's the co- these are the concerns of my people. These are my concerns oh. here." That's what needs to happen to have that relationship. And the, and the president has an open ear. He he understands these are the same people that elected him, sure. so he has a right and a responsibility to hear. But I think with 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 Hank here, you're having somebody that say that says. I'm going to take my issues, right? You know, to the man that that's in charge. I'm gonna I'm gonna push it. I'm gonna push it because these are concerns of me. They're concerns of my people, people that have uh, you know that have expressed their uh, their disinterest or sure. whatever to the, with government or whatever's going on. So he's listening. He's listening and he's pushing. Well, I think what we found out with Congressman Hank Johnson uh, is that it's just not his constituents in Georgia. Uh, I said this once, I'll say it again. All of us in the United States of America are the constituents of each elected official that occupy Capitol Hill. Congressman Johnson gave us that impression, Cliff, didn't he, when we were there, that his concerns, and we're going to get into what his passions are, dealing with Ferguson. He's not, he's not from Ferguson, but his, his uh, legislation that he is pushing is about the United States. Right. And we keep saying that, Cliff, as we have talked about this before, these are actions, and we have to change the mindset of the American people. Well, he's about Georgia, or he's about New York. No one that has come on this program that we have spotlighted on Capitol, spotlight on Capitol Hill has dealt with any, anything specific to their district. They have said, Ferguson is a problem. Those people of Ferguson are the constituents of Congressman Johnson. Yes, Am I right on that, Cliff? That's right. I mean, that that is one of the key aspects of, like you say, Mont, everybody who comes on Spotlight on Capitol Hill, because we have found that the ones that step outside of their uh, of their boundaries, you know, for lack of a better word, 
it it shows who they are as a person, not just a member of Congress, but who they are as a person that they have the people of America's agenda at heart. Not just, you know, sure, they're looking out for their constituents and, and they understand that they have to serve them first and foremost. And, and we understand that as well. But what they do goes outside of that boundary of uh, who they you know, quote unquote, represent because they represent the entire American people. And when we look at that and understand that the issues that they bring up, like Congressman Hank Johnson, the issues he brings up about law enforcement, this is nationwide. This is not just Atlanta. This is not just St. Louis. This is not just North Carolina. This is not just L.A. This the entire nation, just like the names he read off at the, the That's beginning. Clip, exactly right. It shows that he he's saying, hey, I'm calling out every congressperson. I'm calling out your state. You got a member of your state that has died at the hands of law enforcement. This is a national issue that we need to. Deal and what with. he did say, Cliff, Lisa and William, he said, these are our brothers. That's right. Yes. These are our sisters who have died. Our He said our neighbors. Yes. If that doesn't tell you, America is family, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. I don't know what else will. So what we have to do is say, look, Congressman Hank Johnson, thank you for being an example of what the American vision is about. That's right. Right now, we're going to go to that interview with Congressman Hank Johnson. Folks, hang on to your seats. I said it once. I'm going to say it one more time. You may have heard it on ESPN. Cooler than the other side of the pillow one of the coolest congressmen I've ever come in contact with. And we had an opportunity, Lisa, to speak to his uh, uh, director that works with him there. And uh, when we told her that, she just beamed up, didn't she? Oh, absolutely. She, she said, said he would love to hear that. Well, <laughs> folks, hang on. It's a delight. Right now we go to the interview with Congressman Hank Johnson. Thank you so much. We are so honored. I'm here with Lisa uh, and Cliff. Uh, we both sat down with you in your office there in Washington a few weeks back and uh, we, we count it such a privilege that you have uh, considered us and taken time to, to do this uh, interview with us as we honor uh, our members of Congress on Spotlight on Capitol Hill segment, and we are honored to have you with us, and we will uh, respect your time and make sure we don't hold you too long, as I'm sure there are busy things happening on Capitol Hill right now. Yeah, a lot's going on up here, but it was uh, indeed my pleasure and honor to sit down with you and Lisa and Cliff and have a conversation on uh, issues of uh, criminal justice reform and uh, how these issues affect uh, uh, our community. And so I'm happy to be able to sit down and share a few more minutes with you today. Okay, and we're we're very uh, grateful that uh, Lisa and Cliff, uh, they're here. You want to say good morning, folks? Yes, good morning, uh, Congressman. How are you? Hey, I'm fine. How are you doing, Lisa? Doing real good. Thank you. It's a pleasure to talk to you again, uh, Congressman. We appreciate you taking the time to spend with us today. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, thank you. How are you doing, Cliff? Doing great, sir. Good. All right, Congressman, we'll uh, we'll go forward and, and, and get this going. As you know, Spotlight on Capitol Hill is about highlighting uh, the accomplishments, the careers, the the hard work, uh, Congressman Johnson, that you were doing there on, on, on our, in our nation's capital. Uh, and we thank you for your service to the country. Uh, going from that, uh, we did, uh, as we were talking to you there in Washington, but we bring the question, uh, it says here that uh, you became a leading national voice for the demilitarization of local law enforcement uh, agencies in 2014 after police donned camouflage tactical gear and climbed aboard heavily armed vehicles to confront protesters in Ferguson. Uh, 
uh, and to help restore trust between law enforcement and communities. Um, and the, that go, takes us to the Police Accountability Act and the Grand Jury Reform Act in wake of police shooting deaths of unarmed black men across America. I want to give you an opportunity to speak to that and what passion, of course, we know the, the events that happened. What really moved you to, knew, to know that there was something that had to be done given the events in our country that we were dealing with at that time? Well, things unfolded uh, in a very uh, quick way. I mean, first we, uh, I mean, Trevon Martin shocked the nation, uh, the acquittal of uh, of a wannabe police officer, uh, which reminded us that, uh, you know, in the past we've had shootings and uh, assaults by police officers that go to jury trial, and it doesn't happen very often, and in fact is very rare, I mean, that you have a Rodney King-type incident uh, that uh, results in criminal charges. And so I'm old enough to remember the Rodney King case back in the early 1990s where on video, you know, you you have police officers just beating up, just gang attacking a, a black man, Rodney King, and then getting away with it after a jury trial. We saw that out there in yeah. Miami Valley, California. And then uh, 20, 20 uh, years later, we we uh, we see the same thing. We didn't see any video in Trayvon Martin, but we had a wannabe police officer who's let go by a jury uh, under circumstances that just didn't sit well with the nation. And then we see Ferguson happening uh, with the killing of Michael Brown, and we saw how that was handled by law enforcement. We saw the militarized response to the peaceful protesters who came out to show their displeasure with what was going on in America. And to see that militarized response, uh, it was evidence to me of the need for the Stop Militarizing Law Enforcement Act, which yeah. shuts down this pipeline of of uh, military-grade weaponry straight from battlefields uh, across the world uh, into the hands of state and local law enforcement agencies that don't know how to use it, don't need it, and have to use it according to federal law within a year after they receive it. So that Stop Militarizing Law Enforcement Act was filed to shut that pipeline down. And after that, we saw uh, Eric Garner uh, choked to death on video, and there have been a, a, a cascade of uh, other uh, killings of uh, unarmed African-American males and females. And uh, then when we saw the response to Eric Garner case, uh, the grand jury presentation up there in New York, and we saw the the lack of a grand jury indictment in the Michael Brown case and how that grand jury was, was uh, misused by the local prosecutor, uh, that was evidence of the need for the Grand Jury Reform Act, which I filed. And then... 
the fact that police officers end up not being charged in the state courts for these matters, these killings and assaults on unarmed African Americans, male and female, we figured that there was a need for the federal government to have a device or have the authority to be able to accuse these police officers with uh, with the same crimes of murder and uh, assault that uh, they can charge uh, uh, that. And so, in other words, we needed to, to be able to give federal officials, federal prosecutors, the ability to make those charges against police officers when state courts and state uh, agencies failed to do so. So that gave rise to the Police Accountability Act. Um, okay, absolutely. And, and Congressman uh, Johnson, th- th- again, those are things that, that, excuse me, that I believe those type of legislations uh, being uh, presented is that which forms the core of America for tomorrow. For our children, for our grandchildren, th- th- those type of actions is what is so respectable and admirable, admirable rather, uh, of what you're doing up there. And these are things that not, not only affect Georgia, it affects the nation. And I think that's very, uh, very, very uh, 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 in, in inspiring, if you will. Cliff? Right, absolutely. And, and uh, just as, a, as information, uh, Congressman, we had the mothers of Trayvon Martin, Michael Brown, Eric Garner, and Freddie Gray on the show a few weeks ago. And they, uh, they appreciate and understand that it takes a, you know, a, a member of Congress that says, hey, for the laws to be changed, for these type of things to, uh, to work and for change to come, that someone has to champion these causes. Someone has to be there to stand up and say, Look at these mothers. Look at these wives, these these sisters, sons, and daughters. We have to feel the pain that they go through, and we have to have someone, again, that champions the effort to say something has to change in the way that, uh, you know, to ensure that every life matters. And I'm sorry that wasn't uh, Freddie Gray's mother, but Oscar Davis's mother. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sorry, but, but I mean, they their their pain becomes your pain, and... You understand what happens and what needs to be done to say, hey, we need a change to happen in the way law enforcement works and in the way that these grand juries work to ensure that justice is for all, not just fair. for any any particular community. Yeah. Your thoughts on that, Congressman? Well, I, I uh, definitely agree with you. I, I think that an injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Uh, as, right. I forget who said that. Martin Luther King. Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said that, and uh, it's as clear and present today and applicable today as it was back then. And so we have to make adjustments in our in our laws to accommodate the present day realities of things. And and some of these systems that we've put into place are working to our detriment, like that 1033 program, and it needs to be changed. That results in the militarization of our police departments and in things like how the grand jury process works the secret process after which local law enforcement agencies investigate their own uh, employees for wrongdoing uh, if you if you're able to get a finding of wrongdoing and on a and a referral to the grand jury out of that process which is rare 
then you get the home the hometown prosecutor who presents the case in secret to a grand jury and then you get the result of a no bill or a finding of of exonerating the police officers uh it, through this kind of process uh something has to change and so we can't just rest on the prior procedures that have produced the results that we're complaining about we got to get in there and change the the process so no, that absolutely. it can work more effectively and so that's exactly uh you know what we've tried to do and uh these are things that need to take place uh Unfortunately, we are operating in the atmosphere of a do-nothing Congress, this Republican-led Congress, not doing uh, much of anything other than bickering and fighting amongst themselves. No, but, no, I- you know, eventually we're gonna we're gonna get this done. We're gonna keep uh, pressing the action, and it's and it's things like uh, it's organs like uh, a Just Cause, your your uh, station. And it's uh, it's programs like Spotlight on Capitol Hill that help to get this message out to the masses. And I so deeply appreciate you all for uh, having me on today to talk about these bills. Oh no, and it's, it's a, and believe me, Congressman Johnson, it is, is we are honored. It's our uh, we are, we find it we count it a privilege uh, that uh, with what you've done. And, and make no mistake about it. Uh, we'll we'll be touching on a lot more of the issues that are are meant are important to you, uh, and ladies and gentlemen of America, this uh, what Congressman Johnson is speaking about is just the tip of the iceberg of what he is doing there on Capitol Hill. I think uh, Congressman Johnson, and we're not going to hold you too much longer. Lisa had a question for you, I believe. Sure. Yes, sir. Uh, I was wondering. I was looking at your uh, at our profile that we have on you with, their, with your background, and seeing that you had uh, you served as a magistrate judge for twelve years prior to taking your seat on Congress. Um, I was wondering, do you feel like uh, the judges have a part in the problems that we have with our judicial system, system and the grand jury process and everything that's going on? Do you, a lot of people have said that they feel like uh, the judges uh, have too much power and an overreach? Thing. There are some that say that. Uh, they need more discretion so that they don't have to deal with the mandatory minimums on some things. What do you think is is going going on as far as the judges are concerned? What do you think the problem is there? Well, I'll tell you, as far as mandatory minimum sentences go, uh, which the federal government has imposed uh, uh, into the criminal justice system, uh, those mandatory minimums were decided politically. People want to get tough on crime, and so regardless of the the uh, offender, regardless of the uh, particulars of the offense, to apply a one-size-fits-all approach to sentencing turns out to be uh, really bad for African Americans and people who can't afford the kind of legal representation that white-collar criminals can get and end up getting uh, probation for Ruining, ruining the lives of hundreds of thousands of people because they committed a white-collar offense and have high-powered lawyers that they paid a whole lot of money for, but yet somebody who cre- who commits a low-level drug offense, uh, a uh, uh, you know gram of crack cocaine, uh, 
will get you mandatory minimum 10 years because that's what a politician in Washington, D.C. decided that judges should be limited in their discretion. And so, therefore, that's that's the only way that you can sentence a person. Uh, that Then we have a problem uh, in the criminal justice system. And so this, this whole framework of mandatory minimum sentencing laws ends up, really killing our black community, taking our young black males off the street and locking them up for long stints in federal prison and then uh, teaching them during that time that they're in there how to be better criminals as opposed to giving them an opportunity to advance their educations, uh, to get some kind of vocational training, getting uh, their health and safety and well-being from, from prison rapes and from threats and from animalistic behavior in prison, uh, the, the strong preying upon the weak. You know, I mean, it, it's sure. just a, a, it's a terrible uh, scenario that has been levied upon our community. We're the ones disproportionately impacted by these rules. And so, yes, judges do need to have the discretion to sentence appropriately, uh, people who get caught up in this system, and so that's why mandatory minimum reform is so important. But I'll tell you also, we have judges. Most, m many judges are former prosecutors. So what we need is judges who are former criminal defense lawyers yeah. and uh, people who have more of a heart for the people. We 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 need uh, those kinds of people to be appointed to be judges as well. Sure, no, that, that point, uh, Congressman Johnson, is well taken. And I'll say this, Congressman Johnson, we are going to request uh, and get back with your staff, um, uh, Alexis, in regards to coming back out to Washington, D.C. We would love an opportunity to sit down and talk with you uh, in regards to what we've talked about on this show today. Uh, I'm going to forward some information. Uh, there are some things, like you stated, in regards to prison rape, threatening of prisoners and the inhumane and barbaric actions that's happening in federal prisons in this country right now. And I'm going to forward that information to your office. Congressman Johnson, if you would give us the honor of reading that information, and maybe we can uh, you know, plan on coming out there in, uh, later this fall and have a sit-down with you. Would you be open to that? I certainly would, and I look forward to it. All right, thank Congressman you. Johnson, thank you so very much. Uh, we salute you uh, for your service to this nation that is having an impact across this great United States of America. And we look forward uh, later this fall to sitting down with you there in Washington, D.C. Well, I'm going to tell you, if nobody knows about it, then it never happened. And you all are responsible for getting the word out. And for that, I deeply appreciate it. And, and I you, appreciate uh, your efforts in educating the, the public about what's going on on uh, Capitol Hill. All right, and thank, thank you, you, Congressman thank Johnson. You. And uh, you have an open-door invitation to AJC Radio if you want to come on and speak to your initiatives and things that are going forward. That door is always open to you, and we, we count it an honor and a privilege. Well, thank you so much for having me. Okay, look forward to seeing you later this fall in D.C. Take care, thank Congressman. You. All right, have a good thank good, you. Good day. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Congressman Hank Johnson a warrior on Capitol Hill and doing things that are meant to shape a nation. And we have just 
uh, scratch the surface, if you will, of what Congressman Johnson is doing in our nation's capital. Stay with us as Spotlight on Capitol Hill continues to honor and shine the light on a man making a difference. Congressman Hank Johnson, we'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen of America, the month of October happens to be the National Domestic Violence Awareness Month, an issue that is crippling America, destroying families, and shattering homes. Today, we take a moment to reflect and to remember the victims of domestic violence. We want you to know there is a way out. Ron Legrand in Washington, D.C., the vice president of the National Network to End Domestic Violence, has set out on a journey to execute change. That is about saving lives, saving mothers, saving daughters, saving friends from the cruelty of domestic violence. We ask that if you have any issues, please call the Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233 as we heal the wounds of domestic violence as a nation. AJC Radio takes a moment to remember the victims and our fight will always continue. Sergeant Michelle Garcia served meritoriously in Iraq and has the medals to prove it. Soon after leaving the Navy, Lieutenant Chris Scott found a job, a home, and started a family of his own. Corpsman Richard Stokely took the skills he learned in Vietnam and put them to good use as a paramedic. But soon after leaving the military, each of these veterans fell on hard times and faced homelessness. Even after Michelle lost all her savings, even after Chris wasn't able to pay his mortgage, and even after Richard battled alcoholism for years, they each reached out for help when they needed it most. A simple phone call put them in touch with a trained professional from the Department of Veterans Affairs. That call got Michelle a place to stay until she could afford one of her own, put Chris in touch with employment assistance, and found Richard a substance abuse program. These veterans are success stories not only for how they were able to help others while serving their country, but for how they were able to let others help them. If you know of or are a veteran in need, make the call. Every crime has a victim, and every victim needs help. Being violated by a crime can leave you feeling alone in the world. National Center for Victims of Crime can help. Let us be your resource, your support, your guide to rebuilding your life and restoring hope. Yes, you have the ability to recover. Take the first step. Call 1-800-FYI-CALL or visit us at www.ncbc.org. And ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to AJC Radio. Spotlight on Capitol Hill. Tonight we take a moment to honor and to shine the light on Congressman Hank Johnson from Georgia. And uh, the interview you just heard, uh, we had the privilege of sitting down with Congressman um, Johnson in Washington, D.C. Uh, Lisa, um, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit moved tonight as we have looked at the position that Congressman Johnson 
takes. We say this all the time on this program, and, and it's coming to be, it's proven to be true. Uh, when you have Congress acting immediately to tragedies that confront a nation, uh, it speaks to the heart and the passion and the intentions of the congressman to carry out the oath that was taken when he took office. Congressman Hank Johnson is in his fifth term on Capitol Hill. Uh, U.S. House of Representatives from Georgia's 4th Congressional District in the eastern suburbs of Atlanta. Congressman Hank Johnson has distinguished himself as a substantive, effective lawmaker and leading national progressive voice. He was named one of the most effective Democrats in Congress by University of Virginia and University of Vanderbilt study. Congressman Johnson has proven his ability to get things done. From his seat on the House Judiciary Committee and as a ranking member of the Subcommittee on Regulatory Reform, Regulatory, excuse me, Reform Commercial and Antitrust Law, Congressman Johnson has introduced, co-sponsored, and passed legislation to level the playing field for everyday Americans. His bills that protect consumers and citizens' civil liberties include uh, the Arbitration Fairness Act and the Stop the Militarizing Law Enforcement Act, which is what we're going to get into here momentarily, momentarily, excuse me, and say he's proven to be a champion for digital inclusion and an open Internet. Congressman Johnson has pushed to empower low-income and minority communities through digital rights, broadband access, and equality of opportunity online. Uh, Congressman Johnson is a member of the House Armed Services Committee. Committee. Congressman Johnson became a leading national voice for the demilitarization of the local law enforcement agencies in 2014 after police donned camouflage, tactical gear, and climbed aboard heavily armed vehicles to confront peaceful protesters in the streets of Ferguson, Missouri. In the aftermath of the shooting death of an unarmed teenager, uh, he went to help provide and restore trust between law enforcement and the communities they served. He filed the Police Accountability Act and Grand Jury Reform Act in wake of police shooting deaths and unarmed black men across this country. Uh, William, when you hear that, what does it do to you? Well, it uh, makes me feel better, I guess, that someone had actually taken interest outside of their own, I guess, their own home and saying, listen, you know, we need to take a stand. We need to stand up for those that have been wronged, dying at the hands of police. They're just – I mean I, I, we started in the first segment basically talking about him, and you know, when you really think about it, he is someone that is just saying, I embrace the United States. We are a family, and that just as much as Michael Brown, it could be the guy down the street. Wrong is wrong, and so he's really looking at this saying we have a problem as a nation. We have a problem that needs to be addressed, and he's sitting there saying, I have a platform as a congressman, and I'm sitting here saying, these guys, these are the names of those. And when he wow. spoke those names on the floor, he said, these are the names of our brothers. Of our brothers. Yes. And it's amazing. It's amazing. I mean, and, and, and each one of them from different states, different parts of the country, there's a representative there from Nebraska, from Missouri. From New York, from North Carolina, from Los Angeles, wherever or L.A. or California, excuse me. But the bottom line is someone's there, yeah. someone in your jurisdiction, some one of your – the families that helped you get in office is hurting right now, and we need to do something about it. So here's the names. 
Here are the names of these people. And I think that's, uh, that's also that's a bold statement. It's a statement, but it's a statement of, hum- of, of humanity. Yes. It is a statement of being a humanitarian. Yes. That this is not – this is mankind. It's not where you live, where you come from, what walk of life. These – he said this, these are attacks. They, and I, I'm going to go a step further. The congressman didn't say it, but I'll say it. When you're killing your own citizens in the streets of America, when you took an oath to serve and protect – I call that an act of terror. Yes. yes. And how do you perform an act of terror on your own people, Cliff? How, how is that even possible? How is that possible in the place we call America? It, it goes back to the culture of law enforcement. If it is allowed to happen and you get you know some bad seeds in there, because it, let, let's just face it, everybody knows all law enforcement is not bad. Let's put that on the table so nobody thinks that. Uh, that's what we're saying, or that's what Congressman Johnson is saying. He said that there should be accountability. There should be uh, someone that says, look, we have to look over, uh, we have to watch over law enforcement because this, these are the type of things that happen. They they become militarized, and then you you end up with a tyranny over the people to where now law enforcement is coming in battle tanks, and they're coming with assault weapons. And what do the people in the community do? They they have no recourse. It's like now all of a sudden you got some third world country, uh, you know, looking like um, you know the the Kremlin coming after you. Yeah. And and this is America. It should not be that way. And that's why Congressman Johnson says, look, we need to quit militarizing the uh, the police officers of America. Because it puts the citizens in those communities in a position of, you know, deep intimidation to where now they feel like, well, the police are far above us. They're better armed than us. They have attack vehicles. And you know what, Cliff, I've heard that before about uh, police officers, people saying that our police officers are they're not the military. Right. They should not be in put in that same category our military is put here for one reason our police officers are put here for another they are not one in the same and they have to keep that separation there so that everybody knows who's who and what they're supposed to be doing they should not be put in that position because that's not their job well here's the problem lisa as you just stated the military is to defend and fight not defend it is to fight our enemies exactly congressman johnson spoke to the fact that this action these Perceptions of military combat forces were on the streets of America to our uh, to attack our protesters. That's and right. These are yes. our citizens. Attack. These are citizens of this country. These are not enemies. These are protesters. We Martin have, the, Luther, go we ahead. have the right to protest. Everyone in America. That's how change gets done. Martin Luther King said that protesting and rioting and all of that is the voice of the unheard. So that. From time to time, it has to happen to say we hold up signs and we say we do not accept what is happening in our community. For the police then to jump in military vehicles, get armed with assault rifles, and basically say you're not going to protest here or you will die. That's basically the message that the police are offering. Instead of saying I'm here to serve and protect my community, I'm here to kill the citizens of my community and with a battle tank if necessary. That type of equipment is should be reserved for our enemies abroad to say if you come after you the United States as a country, this is the type of force we will show you. We will we will pull up our tanks. We will pull up our fighter jets. We will show you our nuclear stockade to deter you from attacking us. You exactly. do not do that 
against the citizens of your community calling yourself law enforcement. That's not your place. Well, and the thing, the thing, even as you're saying, Cliff, I mean, when we saw Ferguson, you're seeing them launch tear gas. You're you're seeing these guys in riot gear. You're seeing them with with military grade weapons. You're seeing vehicles. You're seeing all this stuff. This is the stuff you would expect to see on CNN or someplace, you know, on the other side of the globe. This is what's happening in Iraq. This is what's oh. happening in Afghanistan or Syria. No, this is happening in the center of our country. Right. Not, right? At, the, not at the shores. No, yes, yeah, not the shores. The We're not being invaded. It's it's happening right here, right now, in our backyards. And what they're saying is you are not allowed to express your opinion, form a demonstration, Show us your disgust well, for us being here. Well, Congressman Johnson went a step further. Uh, and Lisa, uh, just, uh, Lisa, this was a press release by Congressman Johnson. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, and this is what he discusses uh, back in August. He, re- he released the following statement, and this is why we honor and shine the spotlight on Congressman Hank Johnson tonight. Uh, and he states here, uh, and this was a statement following an investment news article revealed that police departments nationwide were using war on drugs as a disproportionate uh, uh, rationale for requesting mine resistance ambush protected vehicles from the Pentagon under its 1033 program, and the Obama administration is demanding the city of Ferguson return two Humvees they inappropriately received through 1033 under the Pentagon's Excess Property 1033 program. The Department of Defense transferred more than $5 billion dollars in surplus military equipment, often from war zones overseas to local police departments and college campuses nationwide. That's just a piece of it. Cliff, you just made the point. These are the protesters. Dr. Martin Luther King had something to say about the right to protest. All we say to America is be true to what you said on paper. If I lived in China or even Russia or any totalitarian country, maybe I could understand some of these illegal injunctions. Maybe I could understand the denial of certain basic First Amendment privileges because they haven't committed themselves to that over there. But somewhere I read of the freedom of assembly. Somewhere I read of the freedom of speech. Somewhere I read of the freedom of press. Somewhere I read that the greatness of America is the right to protest far right. I don't mind. 
Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over. And I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. Well, there you have it. And, and, and William, you know, the doctor was talking about some things there. And his purpose was what? He said, I read somewhere we had the right to protest. Absolutely. Congressman Hank Johnson comes from Georgia. Well, we know the history of Georgia and down south. And there were some issues going on. And, William, when you hear Dr. King so passionately speak, I believe you put Congressman Hank Johnson, who passionately speaks and says, look, this is a call to action. Whether you're Dr. King, whether you're Congressman Hank Johnson, whether you're Bob that works at the plumbing store down the street, call to action is necessary. What similarities do you hear with Dr. King and Congressman Johnson? Well, I hear, I hear the fact that he's just simply saying if you're not listening to the – or taking notice of what's going on, then hear this. You know, it's eventually one sure. of those times you, you, when you back somebody into a corner, they're going to come out fighting. So you can't you can't expect them just to or expect the citizens to sit here and just take it. So he's saying enough. We've had enough. We've had enough of the, our black youth dying at the hands of those that should be protecting them. They're dying wrongfully. They they're manipulating the grand juries. We saw it with Eric Gardner. We see it. We're, we're going to continue to see this until we actually stand up. Somebody says, "Listen, enough. We've enough. had enough." We've had enough of your crap. We've had enough of your mess. We've had enough of you abusing the power, abusing the system. And so now, time out. Time out. He showed up in Ferguson to say, listen, I am here. I am a congressman. I have a right to say something. I am with you. I am one of you. I am supporting you. So, in other words, he is taking the same torch that he saw passed from Martin Luther King saying, yes, I, we do have a right. Well, and he, he goes further uh, in this press release that he wrote. Uh, he makes the statement, uh, it has, this is not only, we talked about, again, the constituents. Uh, he makes, the, makes a, uh, a point um, that uh, this went to uh, college campuses nationwide. It has been more than a year since America watched uh, as armored mil- military vehicles and other military-grade weaponry were used by police in Ferguson, Missouri, to stop lawful. And this is the key. Lawful and peaceful demonstrators from protesting the police killing of Michael Brown. And that's, those are quotes directly from Congressman Johnson. He says, due in part to congressional inaction on legislative solution to rein in police militarization, President Obama issued an executive order restricting the Pentagon's 1033 program, but too much military equipment is still being used and provided to civilian law enforcement agencies across the country to police Americans. As the author being provided to civilian law enforcement agencies across the country to police Americans, as, the, as we look at this, I am dismayed by the lack of progress in Congress on H.R. 1232, the Stop Military Law Enforcement Act. I am dismayed by the lack of progress. And he goes further to say uh, uh, that he, was, he, he deals with the fact that local police are citing war on drugs as the reason. When in this country that the war on drugs require Milita- $5 billion 
of military war zone equipment to stop a man from smoking crack. But see, the thing that gets me, this is what gets me, is that these guys are getting military-grade equipment and never never been trained. Wow. These, these guys are not trained like the military. So all of a sudden, you just give Joe Bob a tank, and, it, and you say, hey, I, I don't even understand this. Well, it sounds like a little bit of G.I. Joe, but we're going to get back to that in a moment. Cliff, we have a caller? Yes, we have uh, Larry on the line, who he has a, uh, a comment uh, about the conversation. And uh, Larry is a retired police officer and retired military. Larry, you're live, and first we'd like to say thank you for your service. Larry, you there? I'm sorry, I had muted myself. Uh, yeah, uh, oh. thank you, sir, for taking my call. Uh, I think it's a very important topic, and uh, believe me, what I'm speaking on, I've thought extensively on, because I regularly hear these arguments, and to a large, to some degree, I agree with them, because I'm a constitutionalist, and I believe mm-hmm. every aspect of government, and particularly the application of the police power, meaning that application of governmental authority, which is necessary for the health, safety, and welfare of the populace, is exercised legitimately and with the minimum amount of force necessary True. to protect the public and enforce law. So you have my full, wholehearted agreement that uh, all aspects of government, to include the police, particularly every aspect of it, not just the police, but particularly mm-hmm. police because they have the right to use deadly force and other uh, uh, and the authority to make arrests and, and detain people and deprive them of their liberty and freedom, uh, even when it's necessary. They still have, of course, the authority to do that. Uh, as right. a result, they, they bear a close scrutiny. So I'm not arguing with that. And I want to make okay. that utterly clear before I make my comments. Yeah, because it sounds like there's a, there's a butt in yeah, there. Yeah, because there is a big butt. I mean, there's both a butt in there. And it's big. But uh, because, And the reason I say this is because, uh, as uh, uh, I told you, Screener, I'm a combat veteran of three wars. I was mm-hmm. a light infantryman in Vietnam. Okay, light infantryman in Vietnam. I was a military policeman in Desert Shield with my National Guard. I forgot calling for that. And I was an armored vehicle crewman in Operation Iraqi Freedom when another National Guard unit I was in got called up for that one. So that's three wars I've been a combat veteran in. And as a retired policeman, I'm a certified firearms instructor, a special reaction team member, and uh, I, I, I was a, a patrol officer for you. So I've I, I pretty much seen it all, particularly right. in this respect. And I think this discussion about uh, police being militarized and military-grade equipment and all that stuff is wildly overwrought to a large extent. Let me tell you why. Okay. First of all, as a light infantryman in Vietnam, I carried 82 pounds of equipment, military-grade equipment, 82 pounds. The people in the weapons platoons were carrying 110, 120 pounds of gear. I haven't seen any cop out there in any of these places carrying anything like the load we carried of equipment. And the military tanks you're talking about are called no, uh, largely, not exclusively, but largely what's known as military, uh, mine-resistant, ambush-protected vehicles. They are not tanks. They are wheeled vehicles with a degree of armor and V-shaped hulls to resist impact, uh, 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 improvised explosive demolitions. They are largely defensive in nature. They are not an offensive weapon. No army in the world consider them offensive tanks used for offensive purposes. They are mainly there to protect police against Things like Molotov cocktails and IEDs. They are not offensive vehicles. Kevlar helmets are not offensive equipment. They are defensive. They protect you against projectiles. 
Body armor is defensive. It protects you. And an M4 carbine, which most of these guys carry, fires a, 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 a 5.56 intermediate caliber bullet, which isn't all that devastating compared to, say, the Browning automatic rifles that police were carrying in the early part of the 20th century and the Thompson submachine gun when they had 45 caliber bullets. Again, in the early part of the 20th century. A tool is nothing but a tool, whether it's used by the military or by civilians. A firearm is nothing but a tool. The Beretta 92S that most many police departments carry is the exact same pistol issued to soldiers. It's the same pistol. You want to say a military-grade equipment is being used by the police because they use Beretta 92Ss and Sig Sauers? Okay, fine. You can say that, but it doesn't necessarily make it so. It is a tool. Now, I would refer you to the uh, L.A. riots and what happened at the corner of Florence and Normandy in that fateful day. When the L.A. police, being confronted with projectiles and bombardments and riotous crowds, said, let's not make this worse, let's abandon it. Because they didn't have any real protection against this thrown stuff that was thrown. They abandoned that corner of Florence and Normandy to the riotous crowd. It got out of control, and guess what? Fifty dead later, and millions and tens of millions of dollars of property damage later, it was put down. I would submit to you that in circumstances like Ferguson and these others, where there is a clearly stated intent to be riotous and use physical force against police and others and disrupt community by violence, no matter who's responsible for it, 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 it was not imprudent to have a, yes, a very concerted display of force to include police in Kevlar helmets and body armor, yeah, some of them carrying selective fire carbines, and mine-resistant ambush protected vehicles, not tanks. I didn't see one tank out there. I was a tank commander. I didn't see one tank. I was a tank commander in the United States Army. I didn't, okay. I'm not, yeah, I didn't see a tank anywhere. I saw some okay. armored fighting vehicles. The worst I saw was a V-500 scout car. And, again, that isn't a tank. Okay. Look, 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 again, it's appropriate to monitor the police. Tell the police not to get out of hand. In fact, you hold police chiefs responsible for excessive use of force and all the rest of it, make them pay, prosecute them as necessary. That should be done. As a constitutionalist, I believe in liberty, first and foremost. But there is a legitimate duty for the police to exercise proper police power, along with the government exercise police power, to protect the citizenry from the kind of thing that could have happened at Ferguson had they allowed it to turn to another Florence and Normandy like the LAPD did when they abandoned their duty to protect the public because they didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Right, and Larry, we uh, we understand that and, and appreciate your call and your position. Uh, and, and Lamont, I know you got a comment sure. about this, but my first thing is, do you think that the police need... Mind-resistant Humvees in our community. A, a Humvee is a, a highly mobile, multi-purpose vehicle, a military-grade truck that can be mounted with a weapon as big as an M60 machine gun well, to take out a group of people. Well, I'll tell you what right now, that it, it, the fact that the President of the United States yes. signed an executive order, now, uh, to the caller... He has the military expertise and knowledge of what these things are or what they are not. The average Joe who comes up and goes to work every day and, and sees this type of uh, uh, body of, pe of people and this display, 
We said it. I've learned this in high school and middle school before. Perception is everything. Yes. Regardless of what the reality is, the perception of the average American coming out his front door and seeing this equipment, it is an aggressive perception. That's right. Which means you are hurting the situation. And you. the bottom line is these protesters started peacefully. This was not protesters, as the caller alluded to, that were clear to right. riot and to do these things. That is a untruth. The truth of the matter is these people came out to protest. And they did it peacefully, week after week, night after night. So, mix me on that. And the thing is, the president would not have come out. For the president to come out and make a statement, that means both sides of the aisle in Congress that says there, somebody needs to speak to this. Somebody needs to deal with the issue that the police are militarized, are showing a military presence Perception. in the community. The community has perceived sure. that, the, right. that the police are now the U.S. military. They got Humvees, they got AR-15s, they have assault rifles, they have military gear, they have Kevlar vests against an unarmed, peaceful, protesting uh, community. That perception is what caused the president to come out and say, I am revoking your funding. Well, I want those vehicles posted. You do not need a mine-resistant military vehicle on the streets with protesters who are being peaceful. You don't. This was not, this was not Normandy Avenue in L.A. in the, in the uh, not even riot remotely of close. 1990. There was no projectiles thrown. There was nobody who attacked the police. This was all a peaceful That's right. protest. And I'll tell you what, MLK, Martin Luther King, excuse me, the doctor, made it clear. I read somewhere that we had the right. Ladies and gentlemen, and I'm, I'm going to lean on the side of Congressman Hank Johnson, who has a record for fighting corruption, who has a record for standing against that which is wrong in society. I'm going to stand with Congressman Hank Johnson, who took the moment to say, this is enough. And folks, we're just getting started. The heat is on. This is AJC Radio Spotlight on Capitol Hill. Congressman Hank Johnson, it's got hot in here tonight over this topic, but I tell you what, we stand with you tonight as we fight injustice and we believe in the things and the, the stands that you are taking there on Capitol Hill. Folks, we're coming right back to you. Hang in there with us. This is Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday as we shine the spotlight on Congressman Hank Johnson. We're coming right back. With one call, you don't have to be a victim anymore. These fights are getting worse. I don't know what to do. With one call, you can end the cycle of violence. We're glad you called. The first thing we want to do is to ensure your safety. With one call, you can change everything. To speak to a domestic abuse victim advocate, contact your local family advocacy program. We have a big problem, and we need your help. It's happening on college campuses, at bars, at parties, even in high schools. It's happening to our sisters and our daughters. Our wives and our friends. It's called sexual assault, and it has to stop. We have to stop it. So listen up. If she doesn't consent, or if she can't consent, it's rape, it's assault. It's a crime. It's wrong. If I saw it happening, I was taught you have to do something about it. If I saw it happening, I speak up. If I saw it happening, I'd never blame her. I'd help her. 
because I don't want to be a part of the problem. I want to be a part of the solution. We need all of you to be part of the solution. This is about respect. It's about responsibility. It's up to all of us to put an end to sexual assault. And that starts with you. Because one is too many. I'm an actor, and that qualifies me to talk to you about social issues. And even though my opinion is controversial, I believe that racism is wrong. Now today, what I would like you to do is take a look at your skin color and hug somebody that has a different color skin. We can stop racism together one hug at a time. Definitely ask permission before you hug somebody. Thank you. Men and boys killed by police. I can't breathe. Impunity for the killers. No justice, no peace. I can't breathe. Militarized police met peaceful protesters on their knees. I can't breathe. Weapons of war, a show of force on our streets. I can't breathe. Disenfranchised youth driven to violence is speech. I can't breathe. Cynical media makes this great TV. I can't breathe. This cowardly Congress afraid of losing our seats. I can't breathe. Half-hearted reform when there's more that we need. I can't breathe. Just thinking about the despair that it breeds. I can't breathe. Black Lives Matter. Hear my pleas. I can't breathe. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Congressman Hank Johnson giving a tribute to Eric Gardner, the gentleman that was killed by police officers in New York City. Uh, and Cliff Lisa William goes to the fact, and when you hear Congressman Johnson give a rendition of like that, talking about, and the, the words I can't breathe became uh, uh, widely used by athletes across this country, celebrities across this country. I believe LeBron James stepped on the floor, him and his teammates, with the T-shirt that read, I can't breathe. Uh, Cliff, William, Lisa, how important. And again, it goes to, the, to me, the integrity of Congressman Johnson. It goes to the passion, and it goes to one very important part. Congressman Johnson is connected with the American people. He's connected because that, uh, that is a huge statement to make on the House floor. When so many people had an opinion, Congressman Johnson stood on what he believed. And if that doesn't give you chill bumps all over you, I don't know what will. Cliff, when you hear that, and the significance of that statement in what happened to Eric Gardner being murdered by New York police officers, and we'll go into the Police Accountability Act of 2015, which addresses that. What does that do to you as a citizen and as a man honoring a person such as the Congressman Johnson tonight? Well, what it, it makes you understand that he feels, he feels what we feel. He feels what the people of New York feels. He feels what the family of Eric Gardner feels to say... 
our tribute on the on on the House floor in front of Congress. The things that see, he took it from the things that they suffered to the things that we suffered. He brought it all together. That Eric Garner is our brother. He's our father. He's 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 the man. He's our neighbor instead of just the neighbors in New York. That is what I mean. You you feel that Congressman Johnson feels for the American people, and that's what it's about. That is what Congress has to get across to the American people, that I have your best interest at heart. It's not just a job. It's not just a seat. It's not just a place on Capitol Hill. It is, I feel what you feel. You are my brother. You are me. I am you. That is what we have to have by members of Congress. Otherwise, the people of America never understand and realize and 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 get the whole concept of it for the people and by the people. That's that, that's well spoken on that. And the Police Accountability Act of 2015, the Congressman Hank Johnson uh, has, is, is uh, working. It says amends the federal criminal code to require a state or local law enforcement officer in a public agency which receives federal funding under the Edward Byrne Memorial Justice Assistant Grant Program who engages in conduct in the line of duty that would constitute murder or manslaughter if it were to occur in a special maritime and territory jurisdiction of the United States to be punished as provided for that offense under federal law. His co-sponsors on that particular legislation is Representative Charles, uh, Congressman Charles Rangel, Representative Norton Eleanor Holmes, and many others that are saying we are on board with this. Uh, when you hear that, this is the unity of Congress, that you cannot separate state by injustice. Injustice is not separated by states. It has no boundaries. There's, there are no bounds. There are no limitations. When you hear that, these are steps that were taken by Congressman Johnson for what? Immediate action. That lives have been lost and accountability is still not where it should be. William? Yes, I am. and even as you were reading that, and I was reading another, another little blurb about it, he pointed out how the grand juries had been manipulated at the state level. He brought that, and I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, he talked about it in the Eric Gardner case. He said that they had been manipulated. So when you look at this act that he's leading out with, and, and this others, the others that we've, we've pointed out, but it says here that it allows the DOJ to conduct a murder investigation and bring charges in the event the state fails to do so. This way, the civil rights investigation will be encouraged and so forth and so on. But the main thing is they can actually charge when you have a grand jury that has been manipulated by a prosecutor, by the system, locally bought and owned, in the case of Michael Brown. Now the DOJ can sweep in. If they're going to do something, they have the right right now. But they could actually move in and say, no, you failed to indict him. We got him. Well, and I think that's a good point. And it sounds like to me, Lisa, uh, Cliff, that all of these uh, initiatives by Congressman Johnson – seem to say the same thing, and it's about keeping America safe. Yes, sir. And it's about honoring the liberties. Uh, and down to that, the, what's really heavy here 
is the military, you know, the militarizing of law enforcement, as we talked earlier. And then you got him wanting to hold police accountable. It all seems to tie together. Uh, and Congressman Johnson was speaking even further about this. Let's hear what he had to say. The Ferguson Police Department would be able to fill out the paperwork and send it in and request a um, a piece of equipment, let's say an armored vehicle, an MRAP, from the Department of Defense that's been declared surplus property. Isn't that theoretically a possibility? That's correct. And they could do it without the input from the local governing authority there in Ferguson, correct? Uh, yes, I guess. So you're correct. bypassing your local Congressman, government governing authority. Uh, fr from the Department of Defense's perspective, we are making excess equipment, taxpayer well, procured I, I, equipment I available. That. How the states want I'm to manage at that. The, I understand. I'm looking at yeah. the process. But, but how the by states which, want to manage that process is up to the states, not yeah, to well, the Department it, of Defense. Well, it's actually a federal government program that allows the state and local law enforcement agencies to acquire this military-grade weaponry without any input from the civilian governing authority. Okay. And that's the point that I'm making. And I think that that is a... Uh, that's, that is not good when the citizens, through their local governing authorities, have not made a decision about whether or not they want this kind of equipment on their streets. Now, with respect to the, uh, to the qualifications of a state coordinator, the federal government has no qualifications that it insists that these coordinators have. Is that correct? Uh, the states appoint those coordinators. And so there is no, uh, there is no requirement that that individual, that state coordinator, be a law enforcement agent, uh, be a law enforcement officer. Mr. Johnson, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I can't speak for all. all so it can, it can, a, a state, do you know the qualifications of the Georgia coordinator that you uh, named believe, earlier? I believe Mr. Sherrod has uh, experience in law enforcement. But it's not true that he has to have ex experience in law enforcement in order to be in that coordinator's position, correct? No, sir, that is, that is not a requirement by the government. So anybody could be appointed, and they can just be a rubber stamp and run the requests through without uh, paying any attention to it whatsoever. Well, there you have it, uh, Congressman uh, Hank Johnson dealing with the issue. Uh, and this is what people don't want to deal with. He is saying that anybody that can sit in that position, they don't have to have any type of background in anything. That they can sit there and just, with a rubber stamp, release equipment from, from war zones across this country and enable lo local law enforcement uh, uh, departments to set a precedence of war. If you bring war equipment... And again, the average American doesn't know the specifics that caller, the, the early caller had. Right. They don't have that knowledge or understanding. He's going to have that, but the American people? Right. The average person in your average community does not understand when he sees any type of, whether it's a light military vehicle or not. If you see a line of Humvees on your street, you're, 
the first thought that goes through the typical American's mind is the military has a convoy coming through town. You see men jump out, they're in, in, uh, you know, in camouflage, and they're in Kevlar, and they got on helmets, and they have assault rifles. You're thinking, the mili- why is the military here walking down my street? And then you find out it's the police, and you're like, okay, you're not supposed to have this type of gear. And as William talked about before, there is particular and specific training that any person who deals with military-grade uh you know, utilities, grenades, firearms, ammunition, vehicles. There is training. The caller even said that he went through specific training to be able to use this type of equipment that he knows how to use it. He knows what he saw on the street. He knows what he saw when he was in the military. He was trained to use it. These police officers are basically saying, go into the surplus of the military, check it out, take what you need, and go on the street and terrorize our citizens. Well, how much sense does this make? You have the Department of Justice coming out with a report that the culture of Ferguson was about racism, discrimination, and unlawful acts. The Department of Justice came out with that report. Help me out here, ladies and gentlemen of America, and it doesn't take a thinking camp to figure it out. You're going to, okay, so you have this culture already in place in Ferguson. Mm -hmm. You're telling me you you make them look. Like they are in a war zone where community and, and police relations are completely broke down. Well, I think, I think the thing that's, that is true, I mean, it, it doesn't matter. You roll this kind of vehicle in a neighborhood, you're going to think something's wrong. Something bad is getting ready to happen. I don't know what this thing is. It's aggressive looking, period. It's functionally, it may, you know deter IEDs or whatever, but I'm looking at something that is aggressive. I'm looking at an aggressive stance by the police. I'm not seeing them in cruisers. I'm not seeing them in uniforms or badges. I'm seeing them in digitals. I'm seeing them in helmets. I'm seeing them with visors. I'm seeing them in all the stuff that I would think would be that I would relate to war. To war. Period. Now, Period. Now, and I think with that, uh, what's so outrageous about this is that you're looking at <laughs> The folks were intimidated by the police department and the culture based upon the Department of Justice report with them riding around in regular police cars. Right. There was yeah. already there it, was already the steam of of racism and intimidation by the police department against the citizens there already. And then you you uh equip them, arm them with military grade folks, equipment. Let, let me tell you something. You know, these are the questions that simply, Lisa, do not make an ounce of sense. No. And when you think about it and you talk about it, Congressman, this is what I respect about Congressman Hank Johnson. He had to know that there was going to be resistance. Right. There Absolutely. was going to be a back to his stand. And what I'm hearing from Congressman Johnson, he is going to stand. He said earlier in the clip, I am outraged. I am angry from what I am seeing. We salute you, Congressman Johnson, because guess what? Anything that's worth fighting for, any justice worth seeking out, is going to cost you something. But the American people sent you to Capitol Hill and every congressman and woman elected to stand on the principle of what runs and keeps America safe. That's right. And when you have violence spreading in the streets of America, we said it a couple of weeks ago, our streets 
have become more lethal than our war zones. When that happens, ladies and gentlemen, in this country, you better believe we need a we need a heck of a lot more Congressman Hank Johnson. Cliff, your thoughts on that? Absolutely. I mean, we need people who understand and feel what the people are going through. Without that, you cannot make a stance uh, a stand for the people. You cannot take a stance against what is wrong, and that's what it takes. You have to feel what the people are feeling. You have to understand the pain of the people. Without that, then you can just go. You know, to your suburb, your suburban area, hide behind your shades and your, uh, you know, fancy whatever, and live your life surrounded by beautiful trees. That's not what it takes. You have to, especially as a, a member of Congress, get out there, understand what the people are going through, get a heart for the people, have compassion for what they're feeling, and then well, that is when you can become uh, beneficial. And that is when well, you, you can you can become a, a help to the entire nation. Well, Congressman Hank Johnson made the point mm. earlier. His point was that most judges in this country and people in authority. Now, I'm going to go to the judges part really quick because we we understand his position on the military. We salute the congressman on that. But what talks about the character of Congressman Hank Johnson, he said that the judges that sit on benches are mostly all former prosecutors. Right. He said we need defense form of defense attorneys that can feel a compassion in the side of the people. That's why you'll find in courtrooms where the the judges will lean towards the prosecution because that's where they come from. That's the side they understand. Congressman Hank Johnson, again, takes. I'm, I'm trying to show you the pattern of respect and of consistency by the congressman. Congressman Hank Johnson takes this stand on every position that he takes. And he does not falter from it. He made that statement very clear. Congressman Johnson was a member of the prosecution team in the impeachment trial of a New Orleans U.S. District Judge, Thomas Petraeus Jr., resulting in the first impeachment and conviction of a federal judge in more than two decades. This is who Congressman Hank Johnson is. That's right. And it's not, it's not because he has this, uh, you know, some great disdain for judges. He was a judge. For what, 27 years? No, he was a judge for 12, 12, 12 years. 12 years, I'm sorry. He, yes. was a, he was a defense attorney for 27 years. He was a judge for 12 years, so he understands what it means to be a judge. He understands that when a person takes that oath to be a judge, what that is and what it's supposed to be. And then he also understands that when a person breaks that oath and for well, for them, for you to have to go into an impeachment process to say you have broken the oath of one of the most sacred uh, positions in America, a judge, a federal judge, you have you basically, uh, you know, have the power to put people away for up to their entire life, and for you to break the law and go outside of the bounds of that oath that you took and do wrong things where you had to be impeached. I'm sure Congressman Johnson had to feel that as a judge that what have you done to the brotherhood of judges? What wow. have you done to what it means to stand? And judge the law against a person and to, to to be able to put a person in prison and then you take that and you desecrate it. Well, I cannot imagine the feeling of a former judge saying, how dare you? And we will do everything in our power to ensure that you that every extent of the law is brought against you to ensure you are brought to justice. Yeah. Because if, if I as a layperson, as any member of America, if I break the law and I should go to the prison. Then I believe if a judge breaks break the law, 
that judge should go to prison just as uh, Jesse well, Peters. Well, I'll tell you right now, folks, you may have tuned into this program tonight and thought this was Captain America <laughs> or uh, the, uh, the, the, is it the Avengers? The Avengers. The Avengers. The Avengers. Ladies and gentlemen, we have found tonight Congressman Hank Johnson, an Avenger of justice. Of injustice, excuse me, right? Yeah, that's right. He is right. one that is searching for justice for every American. And I'll tell you right now, ladies and gentlemen in Georgia, you got it right by sending this gentleman to the nation's capital. This is Spotlight on Capitol Hill. We want to thank Congressman Hank Johnson for joining us tonight. It has been a pleasure. Lisa Cliff William, it feels like we're just getting started. We will have to have a part two Absolutely. on Congressman Johnson because guess what? We've just scratched the surface, ladies and gentlemen. But what we have uncovered tonight is a hero, a legend, a warrior of justice. And it's just getting started. Congressman Hank Johnson, we shine the spotlight tonight. We thank you for your service, and thanks for joining us on our program. Ladies and gentlemen, coming up, what you didn't know about the RP6 case. And ladies and gentlemen, you don't want to miss it. What you didn't know will blow your mind. We're coming right back. This is AJC Radio Spotlight on Capitol Hill. does our justice system get it wrong convicting innocent people of crimes they did not commit a new project by the university of michigan law school and the center for wrongful convictions at northwestern university school of law tries to answer that question in the last 23 years more than 2,000 people have been convicted of serious crimes and later exonerated according to the national registry of exonerations by far, the largest segment was almost 1,200 defendants falsely convicted because of large-scale patterns of police corruption, generally in drug and gun cases. Of the remaining 873 defendants exonerated, nearly half were wrongly convicted of murder, and of that group, 101 were sentenced to death. On average, it took more than 11 years for a conviction to be set aside. Why does the justice system get it wrong? In homicides, the biggest problem is perjury and false accusation, most most often by supposed eyewitnesses. False convictions in adult rape cases are primarily based on mistakes by eyewitnesses, while false convictions in child sex abuse cases are often for fabricated crimes that never occurred. 2,000 exonerations may seem small in a nation with more than 2.3 million people behind bars, but there are far more false convictions than the report contains. Most false convictions are never formally challenged, and those convictions that are successfully overturned receive little or no attention from the media according to the report's authors. Ladies and gentlemen of America, what is going on when innocent men get locked away? Ladies and gentlemen, have you stopped to ask the question, where is justice? It's far away. The RP6, David Banks, 
Gary Walker, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Dave Zappolo, and Clinton Stewart have pondered that question for three years. Where is justice? What you didn't know about the IRP-6 case is the question. We will deliver those answers on our new segment, What You Didn't Know About the IRP-6. We will seek and search for justice. We will ask the tough questions. We will demand answers as justice lays idle in the streets of America. We look for the answer. What you didn't know about the IRP-6 case starts right now. Well, on the morning of uh, 2005, the day of the FBI raid, I remember uh, someone coming in my office saying the FBI was here. And uh, I thought they were joking possibly, but I uh, looked out the window and saw a lot of FBI agents, so we went to the front entrance and uh, just a feeling of shock. Today, it really makes me angry. I, mean, I remember being shocked the day it happened. I remember seeing FBI agents running into our building, chasing down people. Uh, the events uh, of that day are quite clear to me, uh, and it really brings uh, one to realize in this country uh, you're guilty until proven innocent. Basically waiting for our morning stand-up meeting we have every morning, and hearing the commotion of uh, all these agents coming to the door, and you know, basically being ordered around into the break room without giving any explanation of what's going on or why or who these people were. It took a, actually I remember it took about a minute or two before they even identified themselves as the FBI. The benefit of the doubt was not given to anyone. It was almost, I mean, you want to stand by certain truths about the United States that, you know, innocent to you guilty. And it was like, from the minute they walked in that door and the way we were treated, we were treated as criminals, we were treated as if, uh, I mean, I, we were treated as if we weren't even Americans. And it's, it just shocks you sometimes that uh, when you think back and you, you realize how Authority in the wrong hands can, you know, really be, can really take away your freedom. We were out there trying to help them, and they just really tried to demoralize us. Contributing to the development of a lot of those uh, uh, concepts and precepts and the architecture and the, and, and the technical uh, framework for the software. When I heard about the raid, I thought, how, how weird is this? How ironic is this? Do they want to, what are they doing? And if they, what is the intent? And if they shut us down, uh, could this be um, purposely done? That we're doing so well to help them that they don't want us to do that well? What is it? There needs to be some justice in this particular type situation. And somebody out there knows something uh, on exactly what happened to our company and what, what reasoning uh, and what events led somebody to come actually uh, do something so sinister to our company and to try to impede our progress. And, and uh, yes, we do believe somebody came in there for the express purpose to acquire our software for illegal means uh, just on the eve of us uh, closing business and having some of the most promising meetings uh, to conclude business that we had ever had in the history of our company. There you have it. Tough questions in need for answers. Lady Justice has gone missing. Where is she? The RP6 and countless thousands are seeking her out. What you didn't know about the RP6 story 
to be continued. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, what you didn't know about the RP6 case. And uh, tonight, what we go on tonight is what you didn't know is that the FBI begins to target church members at their homes and jobs. They seek out to harass church members. And Cliff, as we have discussed this before, and we go into it tonight, that what this is what you didn't know, that the government went into bank accounts without subpoenas of the Colorado Springs Fellowship Church, Pastor Rose Bank. Cliff, they went into Pastor Banks' account, church members' accounts, without subpoena. That's right. And the, if you know anything, the first, you know, first rule, you know, of engagement in, in any case is if you're looking for evidence that is not readily, uh, you know, accessible by the general public, you have to get a subpoena by a judge. You have somebody has to give you permission. Now, that's that's any basic anybody's information. If if I say, hey, I got a case against you, Lamont, and I want some information that's in your house that might pertain to our case. I got to get a judge's order to say, get me a warrant and a subpoena from the court that says you can go in his house and take his information. Now, the worst part about this is that you're talking about a financial institution, a bank. Under, under, under the under, watch of federal government. Under the watch of federal government that says before you can touch, view, look at, smell. Anything in this bank that pertains to someone's personal, I mean, that is why we have what is called the Financial Privacy Act. It was put in place to protect the financial information of every citizen of this country. And for the federal government to go in without a subpoena and attack, query, gather, whatever you want to call it, your financial information is such a breach of the Privacy Act that... I mean, it can you you can't even put a uh, you know a value on how great of a uh, of a miscarriage of justice that is. And for the Assistant U.S. Attorney Matthew Kirsch and for the FBI agent John Smith to get these records of, like you said, you're talking about a church's bank records. And then when the FBI is asked, well, why did you go after the church bank records? Well, the the, the church is not under an investigation. So how did you? How and why did you get to the point where you create the church and the pastor's bank records and then several members of the church without subpoena? Well, what you didn't know is that it was revealed through court records that the AUSA tried to formulate a theory that IRP Solutions executives were laundering money through their church. There was no evidence to substantiate these allegations. So the, 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 the state attorney decides to take it upon himself. To formulate a theory with no evidence, no you're talking about a church above reproach, mm-hmm. a church with an impeccable record. And you're telling me that the person, what you didn't know, and let's go back there. This is the corruption of the U.S. attorney. That's right. To win at any cost. And, and, and when they failed at that cliff, they right, when failed. They, when they didn't find anything that says there's any type of money laundering, there's not even a connection between IRP Solutions and the church. Then when asked, why did you go on a church? Well, there, there, well, no, we don't have an investigation. 
So then why did you go into the bank accounts without a subpoena? We don't have any comment for that. How is it you don't have any comment when you break the law, but then if a person sitting on the stand that you're trying to prosecute, if they don't answer your question, then they're either in perjury, they're in contempt, and you want to add some prison time to them. Well, what you didn't know is that the federal grand jury, number one, was in panel. Church members were called to testify before the grand jury, and they were peppered with questions about the church. About the church. Again, what you didn't know is that the investigation had nothing to do with Colorado Springs Fellows as far as the, uh, the alleged charges. Had nothing to do with Colorado Springs Fellowship Church or Pastor Rose Bank. Then, what you didn't know is that only the only questions that were asked was about the church. That raises a high question of the intent of this prosecution, and it was for one thing: the the church they found no wrongdoing, so they set up six fall guys to tactfully go after to get something. If that's not a violation of law. And sick, we are in serious trouble in this country. And what makes it even sicker is when this situation was brought before the judge, Judge Christine Arguello, and the IRP6 said, look, the prosecutor has gathered, has gathered banking records. I mean, you're talking about half of the discovery documentation, 9,000 records of bank account information by, for, for the church, for the pastor, and several members of the church. When the IRP6 asked the judge, Hey, he got these records without subpoena. Basically, Judge Arguello, what are you going to do about that? She said, I'll take it under consideration. And until to this day, that issue about no subpoenas has ever been dealt with. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is the question. What you didn't know about the RP6 case, and we're just getting started. Tune in to AJC Radio. You can hear this information. Ladies and gentlemen of America, I advise you and members of Congress and the president and whoever is listening from the Capitol Hill in this case, go back and listen to this segment of who you, what you didn't know. Because I'll tell you right now, laws are being broken and accountability is not being put in place. And tonight, what you didn't know is that six men, the RP6, David Banks, Gary Walker, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Dave Zapolo, Clinton Stewart, and Gary Walker. I think I said Gary Walker already. These are the IRP6 who sit wrongfully convicted in federal prison. And what you didn't know is they're completely innocent. Perpetrators of justice, Lisa, who put them there and who are responsible? Their names. We have U.S. Attorney John Walsh, Assistant U.S. Attorney Matthew Kirsch, Assistant U.S. Attorney Sunita Hazra, Attorney Greg Goldberg, Federal Judge Christine Arguello, Appellate Judge Jerome Holmes, Appellate Judge Bobby Baldock, Appellate Judge Harris Hart, Federal Judge R. Brooke Jackson, Magistrate Judge Craig Schaefer, Court Reporter Darlene Martinez, FBI Agent John Smith, FBI Agent Robert Moen, Former Federal Agent John Epke, Former Federal Agent Gary Hilberry, Attorney Thomas Goodread, Attorney Clifford Barnard, Attorney Thomas Richard, Attorney Robert Berger, Attorney Mitchell Baker, Attorney Boston Stanton Jr., Attorney Rick Kornfeld, Attorney Mark Garrigo, Susan Holland of ETI Professionals, and Samuel K. Thurman. Okay, thank you, Lisa, for that. Cliff, your thanks to our people. Yes, I want to say thank you to everyone in the chat room. We appreciate all your comments and your questions. 
You guys are blowing it up in there tonight. Thank you again to Congressman Hank Johnson for being our uh, spotlight on Capitol Hill tonight. We also want to say thank you to the callers that uh, called in and also to our crew, Captain Kyle and Dustin Jackson of K&D Productions, helping out the honeycomb kids in the back office, helping make sure that uh, you hear what it is that we have to say. Also, to the production support team, we want to say thank you for giving us accurate and up-to-date information so that we can pass that on to our listeners. All right, thanks, Cliff, for that. And ladies and gentlemen of America, this is Spotlight on Capitol Hill. Thanks for joining us. Good night, America, and be safe. Do you solemnly swear that you will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that you will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that you would take this obligation freely, without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, and that you will well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office on which you are about to enter, so help you go. Congratulations. You're now member of the 114th Congress. Thank you. I rise today to express my anger at what I saw on the video taken of the event down in McKinney, Texas on last Friday where a big and burly police officer wearing white socks uh, manhandled a young 15-year-old black girl in a bathing suit and manhandled other young black people who were there simply to attend the pool party. That kind of heavy-handed, out-of-control police misconduct must be stopped in this country. We must do something about it. I was so angry that I couldn't be there to do something about it, but I am here to do something about it, and I pledge to the people to do everything I can to make sure that we eliminate those kinds of officers from police forces throughout the country. It feels like open season on black men in America, and I'm outraged. In fact, all Americans are at risk when bad actors in law enforcement use their guns instead of their heads. Despite bipartisan nationwide calls for action, and despite my bills to reform the broken grand jury process, hold police accountable, and end militarization, and despite my colleagues' bills to encourage body cameras, this Congress does nothing. No hearings, no blue ribbon commissions, no nothing. I would like unanimous consent to enter this list of people killed by the police into the record so my colleagues will no longer ignore this crisis. Mr. Speaker, here are just a few names of our colleagues and neighbors and relatives. Walter Scott from North Carolina, Michael Brown from Missouri, Anthony Hill from Georgia, Tony Robinson from Wisconsin, Kevin Davis from Georgia, Nicholas Thomas, Georgia, Daniel Elrod, Nebraska, Antonio Zambrano Montes, Washington, David Kasnick of Pennsylvania, Jessica Hernandez, Colorado, Kevin Davis, Georgia, Dennis Grigsby, Texas, Romaine Brisbane, Phoenix, Tamir Rice, Ohio, Akai Gurley, New York, Carlos Perez, Nevada, Kajimi Powell, Missouri, Ezel Ford, California, Dylan Taylor, Utah, 
John Crawford III of Ohio, Nashisha Solis, Vincent of Colorado, Charlie Landau, Conning of California, and the list goes on. 